0: Sharon's on a chair, man. She's
1: just, she's just like looking like, oh.
0: Well, she is tied up, but you're right, Mike. That'll happen later. Two of them will gawk at a fight. You'll see. They won't do shit.
1: Do you think we could, you could see her shadow when they cut to her? So I wonder if you could see the stool. Wow. That's a pretty nasty fight.
0: Yeah. When I said the worst choreographic f- choreographed fight, I, r- I guess I really was just talking about the beginning. That that was pretty good.
1: No, but is the fight the choreography is kind of nasty in this. I mean, you're yeah. like just hitting him with a with a plywood plank. Look, oh, I, watch my stool, boys. The, the, the... Oh yeah. What a weird sight. I'm getting aroused. <laughs> Sharon would be like, oh, my oh, God. Going down. My boobs. Oh, the blood goes back to your arms. to a stretch my arms. Uh, strong arms. That's right? fine. Kick. You see how good that it's was? Funny kick. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're equally matched. Right. Good cyborg and bad yeah. cyborg. Cyborg against cyborg. Oh, look. It's the people under the stairs. Ouch!
0: Now he runs away.
2: <laughs> now yeah.
0: The tattoos in pursuit.
1: Come back and finish this fight. Yeah.
0: You know, see that those glass that glass begs to be broken. Now watch. Here's what you were talking about. They will just watch.
1: Oh yeah. I can't believe they're still fighting like this. I mean, why can't uh, help
0: by going over there and, like, grabbing the guy's feet, you know? I mean.
1: Yeah, right. Maybe they want to ride home, and they don't know who's going to win. <laughs> this fights go on forever.
0: Yeah, this is it. We know who's going to win now. Clatu is
1: like, die. <laughs> or uh, turn off. I'm cyborg. Right, cyborg off. <laughs> Cy-, Cy, did you hear about the Jewish android, cyborg?
0: Cyborg.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Golden cyborg.
1: <laughs> Call me Cy.
3: Yeah, right.
1: That's perfect. Yeah. Call
0: me Cy. Two Star Trek connections trapped in a crappy-ass movie. Now, you see how we fishtailed around the corner of the cop car? That's really good, yeah. but we should see it. We shouldn't see it but through the...
1: I don't even think the director realized what he got. Yeah. There he is. I worked with Elvis. You
0: remind me of a young man I used to play with. You
1: sure believe that is a <laughs> It's Tom Hanks.
0: Die for his Lie for his Lie. He's now seeing for the first time the truth. It's a cyborg. Uh So the professor's been standing there like a pussy the whole time. I know. And he's going. Well, he
1: made him, right?
0: Yeah. Now we're having the love.
1: You create. Oh. I want to have cyborg babies
4: yeah
1: all right I will care. Jesus this movie is so long and by the end of it they renamed it to cyborg 90 twenty ninety two I did that joke before a variation. Oh, and last week I had a good joke on the title. I said Cyber 2087 is about my uh, 100th uh, high school, me showing up to my uh, 100th uh, high school anniversary.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's right.
1: Yeah. That's right. So far in the future. I got to reuse that one.
0: (laughs) Hey, Spiegelman, you're looking good. Fresh packs? Right out of the factory.
1: So Spiegelman, did you ever become a cartoonist like you wanted to be in high school? Jesus Christ, man. Why are you bringing this up a hundred years later? No, I'm a cyborg.
0: You used to make all those great comics, man. I started photocopying. Yeah,
1: whatever happened. Did I send it? Oh, well, thanks, man. Oh, Oh, you have them? No. You know what? I I feel kind of bad. Oh, yeah, that's right.
0: But I did photocopy. Oh,
1: he's going. Oh, I appreciate that. You bet. I was a little cool to people, and I, I you know, that's old Mike. I'd rather just bottle it up and put it in a little spaceship and disappear. Oh, he's gonna go in there, and they're gonna have no special effects other than they cut to an empty field.
0: Right, and you'll see that the time has passed because the daylight has changed and the wind is blowing. You'll see.
1: Well, they can't you even, they see, can't even—they can't even match it.
3: Pow!
1: Now yeah, she knows. Yeah, it's the afternoon.
0: She knows at nine p.m., everything will, like, she'll forget everything. She'll go back to normal. Look at her; she's skipping through. Ha, la la la.
1: Yeah, listen, man. You, the shoes these ladies wear are like crazy. They can, in the fact, a dancer run down the hill in them. Oh, yeah. They're Sitting like, what right time down, is it? And they go, nine
0: o'clock. Boing. Boing.
1: They're gone. Boing. It never by happened. high noon, it's by noon. Bye. Bye, <laughs> Bye noon. Look at Bye
3: these
0: weeds, man. I mean, don't they realize they're playing into <laughs> their own stereotypes?
1: They can't help it. They just keep tumbling along. Oh, gee whiz. Where'd you
0: blow? An abandoned town? Oh, gee whiz.
1: Yeah. Remember the time that Ghost Town had robots in the future? Right.
0: (laughs) I remember that. Okay, so now nobody remembers that because it never happened. This is before. This is the day of uh, Professor Marx's big presentation to the military guys.
1: Radio oh, all right. telepathy. How come? Like, does don't you think it's a jerk move what they're doing? Like, they're both talking in the same room. I, I mean, they're probably like comics that are like, "Oh yeah, we're in the back of the room. No, no one can hear us."
0: <laughs> no, it's not the performance yet. There he is. Hey. Hello, Professor Mark.
1: I mean, Freud.
0: Hello, Sigmund.
1: I mean, hello, Carl. <laughs> I mean, Lenin. I mean, Carl.
0: Hello, Trotsky. I mean, Marx. Oh.
1: I mean, the USS Beagle. I mean, <laughs> Darwin. I mean, Sigmund. Uh, All right. Well, right. oh, look, it, it's Paul from Night Court. It's <laughs> <Vision Wall. laughs> Communication system. Radio I know, all the actors in this movies are like our dads. Yeah.
4: Well <laughs> no demonstrated. I don't understand, Professor Marks. We were under the impression you are now ready to reveal
1: your development. Yes, that's true, Mr. Secretary. Yeah. Well, a robust from the future came and took yeah. me to show me what happened.
0: Clad appeared. At first, I didn't believe it.
1: a system. killer robot from the future came. Is the Terminator? It? No, it was Cyborg 20... let just forget it.
0: wasn't even anything like Terminator.
1: <laughs> well, you know in Cyborg 2087 Genesis, uh, the robot goes back in time and decides not to go to the town. So this never happened. <laughs> are, they, are they wrapping this movie up, really? Yeah, uh, we so could have more time.
0: Uh, once again, they didn't do it right. He should have gone in front yeah. of them and said, "Gentlemen, it's a failure, whatever." And then he should given this reason why to Sharon. You know, what are you talking about, cyborgs?
1: Yeah, so, you know, they should have had, like, you know, maybe he should have clapped-toed it at the end. Like, in the day they were still, like, going to the, the square and say, I am just a humble cyborg from the future. But instead of having this guy give the speech.
0: Right. Anyway, he doesn't tell him about the cyborg or anything. He just says, listen, you guys are going to turn my crap into a weapon somehow. We're not doing it. And the military guys, unlike... What they could have done in the plot were like, "Damn, chucks, professor," you know. They could have really <laughs> threatened him, but anyway.
1: Oh my god, that's the power play—dismissing people and then uh, hanging up your coat on the coat rack. <laughs> right now, I can start my day. Yeah, told them. We got the Gordon (laughs) Gecko. Inappropriate, Karen, but thank you. Not suitable for work, that hug. (laughs) I watched a movie about that.
0: One time I went to Mexico for work to uh, sell you, I forget the name, Centurion, whatever. I went to a wireless company down there and all the girls in Mexico, the women, um, when they say hello, you know, you shake the guy's hands and the girls... Get close to you, lean on you, and kiss your cheek. I swear to God, Mike. Huh. Never knew. But I mean, part of the greeting is the leaning in. I'm serious. Yeah, yeah, right.
1: Huh. Well, I look there. Finally, I get some work done. Where's that
0: bottle? Now, here's our last scene. It's the same scene we were in with the cops before and we're gonna get like uh Wendell Corey being like Nothing ever happens in this town and that's supposed to be our big ah ha ha moment. You that badge, I swear you were
4: deal,
1: Yeah, they're just reading comic books and playing right. oh, they're playing poker again. And five card draw. Yeah. You see it
0: says the West.
1: I really don't think it should have
0: I think it should have been a sci fi mag, you know?
1: Right, it was with maybe a killer robot on the cover. Right, exactly. Hogwash. Could've been done. Yeah, really I hard. knew Elvis. I was in his second movie. Here? Wah wah. Yeah. That's the ending of every X-Files. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you see how we have a spaceship? Why? We should have some cyborg.
1: Oh, tie it in. Right. Well, maybe that was the, the artist model for the spaceship they built. Right. Or maybe it should have been the futuristic yeah. city. Yeah, right. Oh, did you know this was filmed in a studio in Hollywood, Carl?
0: Yes, I did. Absolutely. And just
1: so if you ever want to
0: go to that ghost town, too. Um, yeah.
1: Let's see. Here it, this it is. That's the space farm. <laughs> Harry Harry Carrie I think we know I think I've seen him in the stuff before. Uh there's Chevy Johnson. Ch- uh, yeah.
0: Gosh Tarnation uh, How in the heck did you do that?
1: Yeah, all sarcastic
0: They really did. Uh it's the Bronson Caves, Bronson Canyon, Griffith Park. 47th oh, yeah. right. Springs Drive in Los Angeles if you ever want to go to the ghost town. It's probably
1: still there. Well, I love it. Yeah. Carl, what would you think of this movie? Cyborg um, 2087 from
0: 1966. It was not good. Uh, I, I think that they could have – even with their low budget and everything, if they just did a few plot points, they could have really brought out some drama and done it better. But they didn't. And I think they should have spent the money on the cyborg, like, you know, on his chest and everything. And his his art. They should have spent the money. I don't know, $500? There, it was a $100,000 budget in 1966. This was intended to be for TV. Uh, they It had oh. a theatrical release. It was one of nine films that this company made to go on tv and they all were theatrically released i think they they just bobbled the, they t- fumbled the football a bunch of times my opinion
1: yeah i could see that i enjoyed it you know like for a bad like mystery science theater type movie it was actually had a, a pace that it was swift enough it wasn't too corny yes despite that robot sentiment You know, it it was a little model in the robot. Let me address
0: Mystery Science Theater, okay? Listen, the only similarity we have to that show is we watch a movie. That's all. We don't have puppets. We don't have gags. And listen. That whole
1: premise was created. Yeah? Yeah. Well, they were the ones that kind of created the genre. I mean, it has been done before. I think uh, science Theater had done some, like, what they would usually do is they would, Changed the dialogue of movies. Like, so they would show a movie with no audio and then like people would improvise dialogue <laughs> and you know, TV, TV stations always showed bad movies. So the TV station took the movies from their library and they talked over the movies and they right. worked off of it. So they created that genre, you know, the, if it was already created, they were the big bang. So this whole genre is based off of that show. So I, out of respect, I, you know, we, we go off on tangents, we talk about other things. Our show is is kind of evolved from, or not evolved, but it's different enough, and it's it's potentially so, So, so to the point where I don't want to repeat movies that were on the TV show. So if this movie was on the TV show, you know, it it was a forced error. I didn't expect it. Right, right.
0: Okay, so you're a man of integrity.
1: You are. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's plenty of entertainment, and if the show's already done it, or another show's already done it, Mm -hmm. there's plenty of other movies. You know, okay. I like there obscure are. stuff anyway. Yeah, I agree. Including next week's movie, Carl. Yes. So uh, next week's movie, we're gonna do a. Uh, we're gonna try to uh, pander to millennials and do a VHS children's film from 1992. This is a uh, second movie of a trilogy, the Munchies trilogy. Uh, this movie is not Munchies, it is Munchie, singular. M U N C. Uh, uh, C-H-I-E and it's from 1992 by the way the third movie was Munchie Strikes Back so uh, we have on YouTube a trailer so if you type in Munchie 1992 I've seen Munchie trailer 1992 from Video Detective okay pause All it right.
0: Let's- I got my audio up
1: all okay. right go ahead carl if you do us a pleasure
0: three two one go old horizons presents
4: gage dobson is the new kid in the neighborhood his mom's in love with a jerk i'm gonna be your new father whether you like it or not he's not doing so well at his new school unless your grades improve in math i may have to fail you and his overactive imagination is getting him nothing but trouble
2: Life's not looking so great for
4: Gage. To be or not to be. Arriba. Until. Who said that? Me, I did, pal. I'm your new friend. I help. I dazzle. I make better. Roger Corman And New Horizons Home Video bring you the family fantasy adventure, Munchie. The all star sequel to the video
0: blockbuster, Munchie. Video blockbuster. Now, Munchies come to school. Yeah.
1: With a few class projects.
4: Like getting back ah
1: oh. <laughs> it's a family film of a film that had a munchie staring up a woman's uh skirt grade, I think we can do than
4: that. Thank
1: you, sounds like the guy in war, in war games Eddie Deason?
0: no the uh the other one who is from Canada who was in that movie we saw
4: meatballs three yeah
1: thought Yeah, maybe it is. Hot foot, Lottie. Anderson. But he has magic powers.
4: Yeah. Great. And hot feet.
0: Wow, that was a fireball.
3: Yeah. Right, um, wow.
4: wow. Yes. You get whatever it is back to Gage. Andrew Stevens. Well, I'm gonna arrest him. Marty Johnson. <laughs> oh, wow. Laughing. Jamie McKenna. Yeah. Hey, John,
1: where the cameras? Evil Cyborg Roland Martin laughing. So
4: Sometimes you're gonna help people in spite of themselves.
1: Tom DeLuise. That's a good, interesting... He does... It. Uh... Watch this! Oh well. All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is our movie next week. It's an adorable Munchie's hand puppet, voiced by Don Delilloise, based on the hard-rated R uh, teen sex comedy. It's the family-directed video sequel, Munchie, for nineteen ninety-two. Uh, Carl, any place anyone could see you? Um, I, are your shows canceled now? Your in-person
0: shows? Well, no. I did that one in-person show, and that was okay. Uh, There were only 10 people Uh there. 10 people. What kind of a benefit? Which money did they raise? You know what I mean? Uh, But I don't know. So my open mic, I might go uh, real uh, at the Reserve Club in Elmwood Park, New Jersey. We will see. If so, it'll be next Tuesday. We'll see. Listen, Mike, I was thinking. Are you going to? Doing the Zoom at the same time. I was thinking about it.
1: Well, that's what I was going to say. All right. Well, I'm there, man, if you need me. Excellent. Excellent. I'll, I'll zoom Perfect. in your live show. Project you on the wall. I'll, I'm going to be an asshole and wear a mask, though.
0: <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> you won't get the computer <laughs> virus if you've got your mask on.
1: Oh, I have that McAlfie. All right. Well, that sounds good. And, guys, you go to issue.com. That's uh, issue spelled with two U's. You can find Savage Henry Magazine. I wrote for that humor magazine out in Humboldt County, and they have a really weird way to see it online, but it is online. Uh, and then I got nothing uh, going on. The amusement park enough? story. What was that? The amusement park story, right? Isn't that
0: what your article's about?
1: Oh, it's, yeah, it's new guidelines for amusement parks. Amusement parks reopen with new guidelines. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, it's a part of the social distancing parody issue. Uh, so, yeah, check it out. It's a long way to get there, but you'll find it on issue.com. <laughs> the well, that's been the show. I think we ran out of things to say. Yeah, muni Radio does have a fundraiser going on, and they're trying to raise $5,000 before September. This show will definitely be heard before September. If not, still good if go find me. I'm sure there's a new one. Uh, and, uh, yeah, support muni Radio and uh, keep yeah. listening to our show. That's yeah. it. That's all. Uh, and – that's been the show. Thank you, Carl. Thank you, audience, for the show. Thank you.
0: Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube Turn on our satin sheets. I love to be outdoors. Follow me on Twitter. Jokes to call the French duh, not the duh duh. Let's watch a full length move.
5: put some mints near my window. They were pre-screened. I know a guy. Who knows a guy? Who knows Bob Sicamano. I'm working some of the times. But those times are in the past. I wanted to find the whole me. So I looked in the middle. Hey, that's my material man. What are you, materialistic? I saw a light on in the bathroom. But it was in somebody else's apartment. Man, binoculars are expensive. I thought I had it all, but I just ran out. Now I can't do laundry. Could we possibly? Absolutely. Existence can't happen till it happens. The only exception is bullshit preceding the bull in a china shop. I closed all my browser tabs to save memory, but now I can't remember anything. I wanted some mindless entertainment, but I paid too much attention. And now I am broke. I deleted my browser history because it was a textbook case. It said, are you sure? And I said, you were history. I smoked weed that had no expiration date, and now I'm like this permanently. If the sky was falling, which ways up? If I see you eye to eye, can either of us see anything else? I got a comforter. It's more comfortable than me. Beer comes in cans and bottles, that's gross. I got a notification in the mail today. It said please check your mail. I sent a thank you card, but I haven't mailed it. Beer nuts sure have got balls, to sell a product that contains no beer. I like to stretch rubber bands. They need the exercise. I'm hearing impaired, but only when I'm not listening. I built the perfect chair, but it was uncomfortable. I have a moral compass app on my phone. But I need to keep recharging it. The only thing to fear is fear itself. Isn't that a double whammy? I'm already afraid. Isn't settling up contradictory? Motions the handing money into the sky. When all is lost, you find everything. Message in a bottle reads, Help yourself. I lost a small package. Not a huge problem. I tried to sleep, but I got tired. I wrote a bit that killed. It was underscored in shock. I appreciated doing well did well, and now I can't stop thinking about it. When your past catches up with you you're at a standstill. I tried to take pause, and now we're in reruns. I tried to compare then and now, and now it's later. I have odd times every other so often. I used to be really good, but there was a mix-up and now I'm just good. really. I once was alone, but now I'm too loans. I have a car, but it drives me crazy. I tried to deliver a joke, but they sent it back. Now I have to write it all over again. I have indoor cat food, but I keep it outside. Diet Coke needs to improve their self-image. I bought something new yesterday, and today I returned it for false advertising. My faucet is hard to predict. It runs hot and cold. I had a time window, but now I'm of time and it's just a window. You have been a mild and peppered audience. You really have? I can hear you from here, Martha. Thanks and good night. This is Aqua Q.
6: When you hear the trippy music, you know what time it is. I'm so excited. Today is a little bit different. I am pre-recording Some Call Me Tim because I have the most exciting interview that I've ever had on
7: Some Call Me Tim.
6: Well, today on Some Call Me Tim, I actually have Wania, the beau of season six alone how did that happen oh things happen on netflix and then get into them and then oh you get on facebook and they're real people she's a real person she answered her fan mail because i am a super fan it's hard for me to express i don't want to tell her this stuff because it's weird but she'll hear it on the thing later but i'm I used to be a reality TV junkie. Before I started living like an authentic life that I wanted to live and spent my time the way I thought it should be spent to like make the universe and my universe and the whole situation better, I spent a lot of time watching screens and being really into reality TV. And in my late 20s, early 30s, I would say that it was my main goal in my life to be on a reality TV show. Now I look back at that and I think like, oh, maybe my reasons were a little more vapid. Or, but this alone show is no joke. If you haven't checked it out on Netflix yet, season six. Wow, like, it's people surviving, surthriving, as Sonia would put it on her uh, alone. <laughs> They have cameras, their own cameras. Nobody's filming them, they're filming themselves, and they're surviving, and they're making their own water or food, finding it, building a shelter. It's like crazy, but great, not pejoratively crazy. Like, wow, like superhero stuff. Living the way I would pretend as a child, like in my backyard, like, oh, look what I'm doing. But they're really out there days she was out there for 73 days and I'm watching the show and I'm crying and I'm crying and there's all these amazing moments she's dancing with the Sun and she's squirrels thanking the squirrels and being so grateful to everything she ate and just like and I'm cry I mean oh, it was just it was amazing and she's a woman there were so many women out there. And I was so impressed because I just, when it started, I was like, Oh, three women and she's feminist superhero. And I can't wait to ask her so many questions. She's calling like right now it's going to happen. It's gonna happen, like, right now. Okay, I'm like, I did this, I started it a little bit early before she called because I was trying to, like, center myself so I wouldn't fangirl out on, like, the explanation of Alone before I started, for those of you who haven't seen the show. It's not like regular reality TV. Let's put it that way. I mean, it is in that they edited things heavily, and I want to ask Linnea quite a bit about what they left out. And I watched, she has a YouTube channel on Buckskin Revolution where you can watch The Alone series and listen to her as she unpacks each episode um, and says like the things that she could say and couldn't say because I guess they had a, a DNR or something about the show. I guess reality TV shows do that. You can't release anything before it happens on the TV. but. Uh, she has her Buckskin Revolution channel that you should check out on YouTube, where she also teaches life skills. There she is! There she is! Okay. 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 Here she is. Okay. Oh, see, I already made a mistake. Hi, Wania. <sighs>
8: Hi,
6: Sam. How are you? I, I already fangirled out a little bit to the audience before you called to like <laughs> calm myself down and sort of like uh-huh. explain what alone is for maybe some of the people that hadn't seen it. But you're more than alone. Uh-huh. That's the thing, too. I didn't want to just like talk about alone today. Hi. Okay. Okay. I'm calm. I'm together. <laughs> you're so cool. I'm just like over the oh, moon to like,
8: you. oh. I mean, you didn't even have snare wire, and you caught rabbits? Okay. I know. I actually got a snarky comment on my YouTube channel today about how bad I did and how they couldn't believe I couldn't catch fish in a lake that was teeming with fish and how bad my trapping was. And it's so funny what people think they know about a thing. Like, they didn't really advertise that I don't have snare wires. Most people have no idea that that was one of the challenges that was going on
6: you had no fish well that's and they mentioned that at some point that each place that they dropped people each campsite is the wrong word each place in the wilderness where you had the opportunity to live they were all different and so some had fish and some had you had uh squirrels and rabbits and berries not everybody had berries right like
8: I had less berries than most people, I think, actually, because I didn't have much in the way of blueberries. Every site was different, for sure. Yeah, but it wasn't really true that, like, they all had equal resources. Mm. They tried to give them the best, you know, they tried to make it the best swath and distribute the sites as well as possible. Some sites had way more resources than others, for sure.
6: Yeah, well, which would you have... That's
8: the the real world. Right? (laughs) It's not Disneyland, it's the world
6: which which uh, which which site would you have wanted to be on watching it after would you have said oh if i would have been there did you have even that thought of like oh if i would have been in that no. spot
8: i mean similar to the thought that had i been in a spot with more resources mm-hmm. i could have done better and stayed longer but i was in love with the place that i was and when you're out there you don't you have absolutely no idea what right. what other sites are like and what other people have access to and there's really no point thinking about what you don't have because that doesn't get you anymore.
6: right well there's but isn't that what you
8: can do with what you've got
6: that's a mindset i think that we have in our real lives here all the time is that when we focus on the things that we that someone else has or that we don't have and then it creates like suffering and misery that doesn't even need to be there it's like what we can exactly appreciate our own so, okay, so first, I have questions not about alone. Where does your name, where does Wania come from? What is the derivation of your super cool name?
8: Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the story of it is um, one that is interesting and not necessarily super cool. Um, so when I was a teenager, um, when I was uh, 19, I went and I did a summer course. There was a backpacking field study. So it was eight weeks backpacking in the mounds of Idaho, which was amazing. And one of the traditions of the course was that everyone take a a trail name during that time um, just to kind of set it aside as a thing separate from your normal life. And so I did that and I was really interested in ancestral skills and starting to learn more of these life ways that are the things that I'm into now. And I found a book of Lakota stories and, um, Wonia was a name. I wanted something that sounded beautiful and had a beautiful meaning and was something that I really identified with. And um and so Romeia is a really powerful word that means um like the life spirit when it's not incorporated in a body, it means the breath of life. And so I took that on as my trail name and after after going by it for so long, and it was a very, very transformative summer. Um I decided to keep that as my name, and so the, the not pretty part of it is that that's totally cultural appropriation, oh. and I, you know, I was a young woman, and I didn't really have that lens, and I didn't understand, you know, I had no concept of that or why it might not be a great choice, so um, so that's where Wonia comes from, is from a young woman who just named herself herself a word from another tradition that wasn't her own. And I do think it's beautiful and I do really identify with it. And it's not a choice that I would make today, but I've gone by that longer than I went by the name I was given. And also I feel like it's a way to introduce, it's that keeping that name um, brings up the conversation and allows me to talk about the concept of cultural appropriation and just like changing it back would be like uh, letting myself off the hook and pretending that I didn't make an inappropriate choice when i didn't know any better and it gives me this kind of like this way of addressing such issues from a place of humility as someone who gets it because they've done that yeah so um yeah so it's a great question and it's not you know um yeah it's not always an easy subject for me to talk about because of that reason
6: do you do you feel like you've earned the name now that you have embodied all these ancestral skills almost like you could call yourself a a, bunny or a rabbit name at this point because you ate so many <laughs> like you you even said on the, that was one of the things they actually showed that you're like I'm part rabbit now <laughs> like I'm or that all of yeah, your cells absolutely. were so do you feel like through the time that you've spent being like because you have integrity with these skills that you're that you've embodied and then you're, you're living and you're teaching does that remove or do you still feel <laughs> some I'm of just- that
8: no, I don't I don't think that there's any earning a thing that is, you know, something that I took without permission, uh, you know? So, I mean, wow. I think that it's not an inappropriate name if you look at it in that way, but if you look at it through the lens of cultural appropriation, yeah. I don't think that, you know, that there is anything that just changes. I mean, sure, I think that someone who didn't have a relationship with the skills and wasn't aware of these concepts, maybe it would be a less appropriate thing for, or it would be more harmful for someone else. But I don't feel like that makes it just okay. You know, not unless I had, you know, and and I, and I've spoken to Lakota people about this too. So it's not completely without relationship to Lakota people. Um, but you know, yeah, that no. I can with People who are all going to have really different opinions about it. So, yeah, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's not it's for an, me to say whether or not I earned it. I guess is the is the bottom line.
6: It's an appropriate. It's an important conversation. Like, cause since we're in this crazy time of, uh, I mean, what's happening with our world right now? There's so. But to even just to recognize a situation, it's like for me in white guilt. Like I have to constantly come up against it and say, Yeah, I'm. Oh, did I lose you?
8: I lost you. You're back, I know. Sorry about that. No, hey, it's all good. Cell phone here, so <laughs> and you're out, in,
6: you're up there in the mountains in Grass Valley. Okay, so here's my next question
8: How are you friends with a giant okay. cat? <laughs> the, the profile shot, yeah, the, the picture the, of the, the, you you're the you're looking at that, you're looking into the
6: eyes of this enormous cat. I, I'm a cat person, I'm a crazy cat lady, like, mm-hmm. I love cats. And I saw that picture, I'm like, How are you friends with a giant cat?
8: I mean that's actually a pretty small bobcat as they go um <laughs> large, large compared to house cats but that was a cat that had been hit on the road oh um, so that cat was no longer alive oh so really i thought you were looking deeply yeah. into the eyes of a cat
6: see look at me i completely I misinterpreted the picture you were
8: i mean i was doing that yeah yeah that, that's all still true
6: so And so for me, when I was watching you, I was so affected and I kept like kind of putting myself where you were. It was so, oh, it was so incredible because you're filming yourself and it's like so intimate because it was almost like I was with you and that's got to be weird for you. And I'm wondering how like that affected you with the camera and the intimacy. But also when I was watching you, I kept thinking I could never... And you, there were times where you'd pick up an animal and look at it and be like, "Thank you, thank you, thank you for feeding me," and and you had to be like intimate with that animal and pull off its skin and do all that stuff. Is that? I mean, how do you do that? I, I, I maybe I'm just so removed from <laughs> survival and life that like I just couldn't imagine. I mean, I was watching you do it and that was hard for me. Like I, when I saw Jordan with the Wolverine and I saw his little face and his teeth and I was like, I'm making myself watch this. But like, how did was that interacting with you? With, were you just so grateful for the food that it wasn't or that's just not freaky for you?
8: It's just not freaky for me. That's been a part of my life for a really long time. You know, I've raised my own meat animals, um, you know, and I was vegetarian and vegan at one point. So I was like very anti-hunting and PETA and vegetarian in high school. Um, But once I started being introduced to ancestral skills and, you know, I went right from being vegan to processing and eating roadkill. Um, And I'm, you know, I have a science background and a deep connection with animals and it's never... It has never felt like a juxtaposition to me Mm -hmm. to love and feel connected to a wild creature and to, you know, skin it and break down its body for food and eat it. That is the most natural thing in the world to me. And to me, the barriers that our society puts up and the the removal from our food source, that's what feels weird and wrong to me. Um, So, yeah, it certainly was not an issue for me
6: out there and nor in my life in general. See, I, um, I I cook. One of the things I do for a living is I, I I cook. I have no problem if an animal has no head. Like I can, I've processed so many <laughs> birds. I've deboned so many birds in my time. Like it's, but if they have a head, I can't do it. And And I think maybe it must be something to do with the way I was raised and I was so far removed. Even when I am working with a food source, I'm still removed from it even when it's whole. So right. Uh, talk a little bit about Buckskin Revolution and what you're doing to try to create that connection again with people and the way we should, I don't want to say should be living our lives. That's weird, but the way we did for thousands of years. And then it's just this little tiny little bit here at the end where we're so removed from it.
8: Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you've kind of you've hit the nail on the head there that my work with Buckskin Revolution is to kind of um, invite people back into that place of connection, not just with the world around them, um, but with our own selves, with our human communities and with with our ancestry as humans and what it is that we evolved to do. And absolutely, the bodies that we live in evolved over the course of hundreds of thousands of years, millions of years, to to allow us to engage deeply with the world around us. And it's only been a few hundred years that that's completely shifted to where we no longer need a lot of these senses that we evolved with. And I think that You know, the malaise that we see in our modern society and so many people who are unsatisfied and, you know, dealing with depression and feel like there's something missing from their lives. I believe that that is because we are living lives that are so different from what we evolved to do. And that does, you know, that does leave a feeling of something missing. You know, we have all of these amazing sensory perceptions that are about engaging with the world around us. And instead we engage with screams, yeah. you know, 12 inches from our faces and we fill our senses with noises. And, you know, like right now there's a helicopter overhead and I can hear the highway and, you know, my ears evolved to the frequency of bird songs oh. and knowing what's going on in the forest around me through paying attention to what the birds are doing. And, um, yeah, I think that the degree to which we engage those skills, those senses, those parts of our body, you know, just our hands in, in fashioning things that we need for our lives, there's something deeply fulfilling about that, you know, on a level that we don't even really know how to verbalize. Um, Crafting, well, that, it's that's making... That's what I'm trying to share. When
6: when humans, I mean, we as humans, all we really have is the ability to create things right either thought or stuff and I feel like uh, and watching you craft it uh, that was the thing okay so at the beginning of the show they don't show you for like two weeks and I get it it's a reality tv show and they had to show the people that were going to break their leg and get kicked off and they had to show their stories a little (laughs) bit because they were leaving and you were going to be there forever but all those things that we didn't get to see like you were just sitting on the ground weaving baskets for two weeks or like what was because you were, cra- I mean, obviously you were doing things.
8: You were. There's a lot going on in those first couple of weeks. Yeah.
6: So it was all like um, building your amazing shelter, which was like the best shelter. I was like, I want to live there. That's.
8: <laughs> it was.
6: It looked warm and snug and like a real little house. But you were like mm-hmm. literally crafting all the time. Yeah, I mean, when you weren't looking uh, for well, food. there's all kinds
8: or... of things. I mean, it's it's hard to sum up. It was a huge time. You know, I mean, it starts off with the most important thing that you can be doing is, yeah, getting your shelter set and then starting to to key into your environment and where the food sources are and strategizing how you're going to avail yourself of those. So that was what, you know, my first couple days were scouting my site and deciding where to set up my shelter and um, being sure that I was in the best possible location and then starting to build. And, you know, we we had snow on day three, so it was full on from the very beginning. And so I was constantly in this place of trying to balance food resources and shelter. And, you know, when I woke up covered in snow, obviously that's going to nudge me to prioritize shelter, um, for that day. Um, but always trying to hold both of those things. And, um, certainly the first few days were more focused on shelter for me because I knew that my body still had a lot of calories in it because we had been gorging up until we left. So I knew that my system had as much energy, you know, at the very beginning as I was likely to have, um, and so I wanted to really focus on shelter at first while I knew I still had those, those you know, glycogen stores in my liver. Um, wow. <laughs> and um, but by day four, I started hitting fishing really hard. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, um, doing, you know, doing a lot more focus on fishing until it became increasingly clear that I was not in a location that had fish.
6: Right. Um, you just had
8: very, very shallow water.
6: That must have been so frustrating that you crafted all those lures and you were out there and just sitting for hours. I mean, were you listening to the birds? Like, (laughs) did you?
8: You just. I mean, I was doing it. No, (laughs) I was constantly, constantly active, doing everything I possibly could to improve my situation every daylight hour and well into the night by headlamp. There was no downtime and listening. (sighs) The birds.
3: okay um, you know, <laughs> but
8: like the- something that i was doing as i was doing everything oh, else gotcha. you know like part of my awareness would be there but um but no constantly I you know bringing in firewood working on the shelter you know strategizing new ways to to try to make fishing happening finding you know scouting the landscape and seeing whether there were any other better places for fishing going you know making a moose call and going into the woods and calling moose i mean i was i was splitting my strategy between fishing and breeding in moose. but And, you know, you were asking, like, what were the resources that I had? My site was very resource scarce compared to a lot of the other sites. I didn't have big game. You know, I was hoping for problems with bears because I had a bow, (laughs) 45-pound bow and broadheads, and I would have been thrilled to have bears sniffing around my camp. And that happened with a lot of other people. But that's not, you know, I was on a narrow rocky peninsula with no fish and no big game and really actually very scarce small game because it was, you know, mostly bare rock. Right. Um, that so in terms of, you asked earlier, in terms of resources, somewhere like Jordan's area where he had fish and big game and a ton of small game. I mean, he was in an area that had been burned a couple years before, which means there's a ton of vegetation regrowth. It's one of the most abundant sites that, you know, that you can possibly have. Um, and mine, in contrast, was a bare rocky peninsula surrounded by shallow water.
6: Right. With where you got to. Now, here's another question I have. Uh, What's your dance background? And I was so bummed that they only showed you once (laughs) with your because I I watched all of your YouTubes after and you're like, I was dancing every night. I had a dance party until the last week. And um, not every
8: night. Once a week. Once a week.
6: week. Oh, Okay. But you sang the sun up every morning.
8: I I sang the sun down every evening. Sang the sun down. Um, yeah. But these were rituals. You know, I sang the sun up a lot of mornings, but not every morning because okay. mornings were a lot more challenging, frankly. <laughs> what Was it just, it was <laughs> so cold? be all the more reason.
6: Was it getting out of bed was just
8: yeah, so difficult? Yeah, it was cold.
3: Yeah, it yeah. was cold. <laughs> I mean, as
8: time went on, things, just you know, like starving for weeks on end um, and really, really cold temperatures and not sleeping well because generally when one is um, really undernourished and in ketosis, it tends to affect your sleep patterns um, so, so yeah, but getting out of a sleeping bag into minus 20 degrees oh. and you haven't had anything to eat for weeks is challenging. Yeah. So I'm, and my voice is a little more croaky in the morning. So,
3: wow. <laughs> so my singing right. practice singing. is more sure.
8: consistent in the evenings than in the morning.
6: And, but these were rituals. So this is kind of goes back to the ancestral thing. So you were creating rituals for yourself out there. And is that what, like helped keep you grounded and then like what what would, what did you find Cause I also you also made ancestral plates like you said that when you were cooking your food you were like how did I don't want to like say like how did that witchy stuff help you but I, I mean I'm into it too so but you were you were performing all of these rituals. How did that like bolster your attitude and your how you were spending out there because I didn't see anybody else like doing rituals like that.
8: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that um, I think that ritual has a certain connotation, which isn't necessarily how I would describe it. I mean, I think that it has a lot of connotations, some that fit and some that don't. But I would say, yeah, I mean, definitely I wove into my life a lot of practices that reminded me to be coming from a place of gratitude and connection um, I just, you know, like I've, I've posted videos about making blood pudding, and have some people say that I'm like doing satanic practices or something. So I'm leery around the term rituals sure, because sure, people sure. Can take that sure. and run with it, all kinds of weird places. Um, Wait, Well, so you're anyway. like a celebrity yeah, now, I'm-
6: so you you have to you do have to watch <laughs> what.
8: No, seriously, because words of people, uh, I'm sure. That's not the word I would use necessarily. I'm but millions. I have a higher
6: profile than I used to. Millions of people have seen you, like. Certain, sure. and all of yeah, the skills that I mean do you feel like this was the this is what you've been working your whole life for like all of your skills came to fruition for this time that you were able to survive and not
8: just for that time for for similar things for all time it definitely felt like a fruition of a lot of things but it, I don't like to think of it as like an end goal because then what what do you have after an end goal
3: <laughs> right
8: Sure. so yes it, it was definitely a culmination of um of things that have been a huge part of my life for decades um yeah but I hope that it's not the last time oh no. that I get to use all of those skills but
6: <laughs> I'm sure you're using the skills right now um so back I didn't a dance background so were you a dancer as a child because
8: you no not at all um I mean I am someone who lo- I mean I guess yes I got dragged to ballet at four and you know did somersaults in tutus and such but that's the <laughs> That's the sum total of my dance background. I mean, I'm I'm someone who loves dancing, and it's taken you know, I have taken different dance classes, but um, mostly just reform, um, you know, like five rhythms and ecstatic dance and that kind of thing. Um, I wouldn't say it's a background, but just something that's a part of who I am and something that I really love.
6: Rad. I just. Uh yay um okay so i have all of these yeah. questions about cameras did they train okay so mm-hmm. it was a crazy show to watch because it was beautifully shot and i know that some of it was be real and like they are a show and they mm-hmm. they're doing what they do
8: but the majority of the and stuff they go over sites with drones occasionally and that kind of thing so they do you know bolster what we do
6: but you are your own camera person which i don't It took me a while to realize that. I'm like, so do the camera crew? I kept thinking, like, the camera crew gets lunch, like, while they're starving. That's inhumane. That's terrible. But then I realized, like, wait, 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 no. No, there's no camera
8: crew. There's no one there. Right. No, it's actually literal. I mean, the show is called Alone for a reason. Yeah. It's it's (laughs) quite literal.
6: Yeah. I just didn't believe it at the beginning. And then I'm like, okay, this is real. So did they teach you how to use camera? Or did they tell you, like, what shots they wanted you to do? Or where?
8: Okay. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a big part of the prep before going out is um, is yeah the the camera training, and that happens also in their selection process. Um, you know, when they, they they had for my season, I think they had twenty thousand applicants be on a loan, um, and then and, and I didn't apply. They they called me, um, and so you know I kind of got a got a leg up in that whole process. But um, but then they narrow those twenty thousand down to twenty in my case, 22 people, and then they bring us out to New York for a week to do a bunch of different assessments, um, skills assessments, you know, physical tests, psychological tests, and in that, they do a bunch of camera training, and then they're also, um, I think they're also really paying attention to see who cares to dive into the camera training and who's actually really um, prioritizing learning the camera skills, because you can have all of the survival skills in the world, but if you're not that interested in shooting well then they don't have a show right know. so very important that um that they select people who care to do a good job with a camera training which you know I did yeah
6: Um, I mean it was beautiful it was beautifully
8: shot and even like when you're I guess
6: kept thinking like how much time are you spending with the camera because the sun is going down and you're chipping through this ice and it's 18 inches thick and you didn't have the axe you had your cool thing that you chop the trees down with and and you're just going and going and going and i was like how much time did the camera take to set up and then you have to take it home and all these other like yeah
8: and that's that's a huge component and honestly you know, I would do it differently now than I did then. I was very, very invested. I mean, really, the reason why, and there were a lot of different reasons why I decided to do alone, but a big part of it for me wasn't, you know, it wasn't about the competition. It would have been great to win on some level, sure, and there were some levels where I didn't actually think that winning would be the thing, mm-hmm. Um but one of my main goals was to demonstrate a different way of approaching survival than what one usually sees on these shows and you know it usually tends to be about like competition and coming from this very antagonistic place with the natural world and like Mm. you know it's me versus nature and you know even one of the shows is called man versus wild you know and that is the polar opposite to my perspective and how i wanted to be out there so for me it was the opportunity to share my perspective with the world stage and knowing that the you know the better i did the more i the more i proved that going about things from a place of connection and reciprocity rather than domination and you know competition is a viable strategy is a viable strategy for survival so um because that was such a goal of mine, I really took a lot of time with the filming. And that was a huge part. I would say half of my daylight hours and, you know, calories and time and energy went to getting really good shots. it It would affect what I did. You know, I would choose to do things like I would process my animals during the day, during the daylight hours, so I could get really good footage of it. When for me, practically speaking, it would be way better for me to leave that animal in my shelter and do it at night because there are tons of things I can be doing out on the land when the sun is out that I can't do in the dark. And the sun was only out for four hours a day by the time I left. So every daylight hour was so huge. And yet I sacrificed a lot of them to get the good camera angles and to set up the good shots and do the good filming. And then it was so disappointing to watch the show and see that like way less than 1% of the things I filmed made it onto the show. And I could have done, so I, I could probably have had as much food if I had had twice as much time oh. well honestly I'm not sure that that's true because my spot was so resource scarce but you know I could have done much better in terms of the survival aspect had I not put so much energy towards filming really well um, so you know I don't want to say that anything is a regret because it was the most amazing experience I've ever had and had I shifted some things and maybe other things that I can't know now would have shifted and that would have been a bummer but I would do it differently in terms of so much time and attention towards filming well if I was to do it again.
6: How many hours a day did they ask you to film?
8: Because we were we were asked to film absolutely everything we did. Wow. Like, so what did they give you batteries you can't every time? They really require that so we had, we had a way to recharge our own batteries. We had a big, like essentially like a big car battery uh-huh. um, that we could recharge some of the batteries ourselves, but then they would also give us a ton of batteries when they came to do medical Med checks. checks. And I then figured. also early on when they weren't doing medical checks and when the lake wasn't frozen, they would, um, they would do what they called blind drops or we would have a dry bag and we would leave our dead batteries and our... SD cards with our footage on the shore in a dry bag, and they would come by with a boat and grab that bag and replace it with a bunch of fresh batteries. So and, we, but they wouldn't you know, talk to They never to wanted you. us to be without batteries. Of course. No, no, like- we, we didn't even see the boat. We weren't supposed to be anywhere near shore when they did that. They would let us know, okay, we're doing a blind drop today. Don't be anywhere on shore, you know, between this hour and this hour.
6: So did you look forward to med checks just cuz they were people like when they started happening or was it like oh med checks I don't want to I don't want to know
3: or
8: no I didn't I didn't really look forward to them I felt like it really interrupted my routine oh. I mean one thing is that a day with a med check was kind of a lost day in terms right. of food no gathering daylight. because they would give me a window when they, when they were coming but they didn't know when exactly so I couldn't be that far from my shelter and my trap lines were a good ways away from my shelter yeah. um, and so it meant, it meant losing a ton of time. It meant like stripping. I mean, they weighed me, I had to strip down in the freezing cold, you know? Um, And it just, when you're so adjusted to being out there on your own, like I wasn't lonely, I was loving it. I like really had this beautiful um, connection and, solitude and um you know having a helicopter land and a whole bunch of people come out and you know poke and prod you and ask you a bunch of questions it's very disruptive and it was a whole different energy and it took me a while after they left to kind of get back to my serenity after everything being so stirred up in this whole different type of interaction um So I know I did not look forward to the medical. I mean, I really had a deep connection with a lot of the people um, who were coming with the film crew. Like I really appreciated them as people. And so it's not like I didn't enjoy the interaction when they were there. But it was still so disruptive that I would rather have not had it. And towards the end, you know, I was having medical checks a lot more often because I was dangerously underweight and I knew they were very, very concerned about me. So I had the fear of being pulled up you know, all the time. Um, I got my first warning that I was on medical alert on day 40. Whoa. So 33 more days, I was out there wondering when I was going to get pulled and having medical checks way too often that were very disruptive and actually really um, affected my ability to bring in food a lot. So it's like you're underweight, so we're going to check you more often. And it's like, well, the more that you check me, the more underweight I'm going to get because that's a whole day that I lose a lot of my trapping capacity.
6: Uh, How far, you said you're, Traps were a ways away, like a mile. I'm just trying to think calorie wise. No, no.
8: no not uh, that far. I mean, it changed all the time. You know, okay. I had different trap lines set up. I was constantly, I mean, every day I was checking and resetting because I had fishing line and not snare wire. Fishing line rabbits can chew through in, you know, oh, half a yeah. second. So I was constantly, constantly having to take down and reset up other snares and, you know, the rabbits would be onto me if I had set up a bunch that they had just nipped off in one area, they would stop using that area. So I had to constantly be exploiting other areas. And, you know, so there was no set trap line that was there all the time. It was, you know, constant strategizing and shifting up what I was doing. How many sometimes, I don't know, probably as far as half a mile, not, not a whole mile away. And, you know, I, my territory, you don't know, how big your zone is. You know, you're not, They have boundaries you're not allowed to cross, but it's not like they're marked, you know, this is way out in the wilderness. So the way that I would know is if I got a little blip on my GPS device. Um,
6: And then let's talk about the beavers. Oh, oh, I saw the thing when you talked about the beavers. I want to talk about the beavers. So when everything finally freezes (laughs) up and you're like, all right, I'm going to go get those beavers and you get over to the beavers, can't get to dang beavers. And then the frozen river and the beeping and the leaving. That was crazy. So yeah, did you, that was, was that the first time that you <laughs> felt, was that the first time you felt real fear or were there other moments where you were like, I could die right now? Was that the only moment that was at like the end of your journey? And you were like, whoa. Yeah,
8: that was the only moment.
6: Really? Sure. You yeah. never felt any, like mm-hmm. that was a kind of fear that like, I can imagine it's like inside, you're like the pit of your being is like, oh,
8: whoa. We need to be Well and the careful, thing with that out frozen here. river was yeah, I mean that was like I never felt any threats from the outside. Like being on the river, that was my own fault. You know? <sighs> that was that was my own poor choices right in that moment. So I didn't really have anything so I felt fear, but I also felt like shame at like, wow, that was a really stupid choice. You just really put yourself in jeopardy. Um, but that was the only moment. No, I really, you know, I I understand that it maybe should have been scary and um, that it would be for a lot of people, but I felt so seen and held and wanted by that place. I just really didn't feel like there was anything out there that wished me harm. And even, you know, I mean, I was out there on top of that frozen river because I'd been following wolf tracks um, across the ice and, you know, wolves are big predators, but I, you know, I didn't feel like I was in any danger, which is not true. You know, like something could have decided that I was an even, uh, you know, an easy meal. But even so, I mean, my deepest desire was to be a deep part of that landscape. And that is part of that is part of living wild and wild systems. And so in that way, I mean, I'm sure that had I been attacked by a wolf in the moment, it would have been very scary. But, you know, better to go out that way as part of a beautiful interaction in a wild place than to get taken out in a car accident sure. you know did you have an so, arrow knocked so I wasn't
6: did you have an arrow knocked uh, when you were walking that,
8: no I didn't have an arrow knock I'm trying to remember if I even had my bow with wow. me I probably did because I brought my bow everywhere but no I definitely didn't have an arrow knocked because you were just I walking and having my bow with me on that trip.
6: you were
3: just yeah, experiencing I mean, the know, beauty uh, of the place it's not that
8: common for wolves to take out people and especially in an environment where they don't people. It's not like we're on the menu. It would be an right. unusual animal that's like, what is this thing I've never seen before? I guess I'll figure it out by eating it. <laughs> you know, generally that's, there would be a curiosity. You know, the place where you see problem animals is places where humans have been encroaching into wild places a lot and affecting wild animals' ability to get game. You know, like bears attacking people. That happens usually in, like, campgrounds and such, yeah. and places where they're used to associating humans with food. Um, So, yeah, I mean, which is not to say that you know that they mightn't be motivated that way, but it just wasn't. I didn't feel in my gut that I was in danger in those ways. Right. So just from yeah, the, I had water. one moment when I was coming back. Yeah, just from standing <laughs> on top of water, you know, of of ice that was way thinner than it should have been. To me, be standing on top of a frozen river, I just didn't realize. And for the for the. You know listening audience right now what she's referring to is a night pretty far out i think it was night 70 maybe 69 or 70. um i i had hiked out across the ice i was way out of my bounds i didn't realize that because the gps signals and satellite signals are um really bad out there so the message telling me that i was way out of bounds didn't come until i was already far out um but it was kind of dusk i couldn't really you know the light was starting to go and i was in this area on this lake, which is this huge lake, um, where the ice was starting to be uh, not flat, but kind of bubbled, and I was curious about it, and I thought that it must have been, you know, vegetation or something, and I didn't realize until I was already pretty far out that the reason why it wasn't flat there is because it's actually a a river, and so it was like the bubbling flow of the river that had frozen, and it was not very thick ice, and um, because that's what happens, ice that's on top of flowing water doesn't, doesn't freeze very quickly, so it's a really dangerous, really sketchy place to be, and I just, you know, and that it was so enthralled it by was following these wolf tracks. The, the dust, yeah, so you, they couldn't they have can't... come to help me, they couldn't have flown the helicopter, they, yeah, they wouldn't have. Not been that anywhere. they could have gotten there. I mean, if I had gone through ice on top of a fast moving frozen river, there would have been nothing they could do, I would have <sighs> stuck under the ice anyway, and <sighs> the helicopter would have been a non issue. And <laughs> I knew that, you know, that's that was that's the you know, I've done a lot of wilderness trips in my day, and I've never in my life had a button I could push for someone to come save me, so <laughs> th- th- that wasn't really part of my reality out there. Like, I knew that everything I was doing was a calculated risk, and that, you know, the chance of rescue was a pretty remote one, so that that didn't figure into my thinking out there. Wow. Um That's why you're so, a superhero. Yeah, you're fearless. Um, <laughs> you're a fearless feminist superhero. <laughs> I'm not fearless, but that those aren't the things that I'm most afraid of, I guess
6: well okay so let's switch gears what are the top five most beautiful things you saw up there that you could there's probably got to be more than five mm. but that you sure. hadn't seen in any of your wilderness journeys that you were just so majestic that that they didn't show on the show I mean they showed a lot of the northern lights and I kept being like oh, is that that's crazy Those that was wow um
8: they are crazy. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that area, Yellowknife, um, in the Northwest Territories, is um, a worldwide destination for Northern Lights tourism. I mean, the streets are awash with tourists um, to come there to watch the Northern Lights. So, yeah, all that footage was very real. Uh, so, yeah, the Northern Lights, definitely. And I'd seen Northern Lights before. Um, i have lived in Northern Ontario for a brief time um, and seen some pretty spectacular Northern Lights there. But, yeah, that was... Those were really, really amazing. Um, the night that I was out on the ice, the night that they showed the footage of where I was trying to get through the ice and realizing that it, in the course of the couple days that I hadn't been out on the ice because there'd been a really intense storm, a really intense storm that drops the temperature about 20 degrees with just whipping winds. And that storm, the ice went from about four inches thick to about you know 18 to 24 inches thick. Um, so I had been able to get through the ice with the same technique I was using before that, and then all of a sudden there was no way. But that, ice, that, that that night, that sunset was the most epically beautiful, awe-inspiring evening of my entire life. And it was really frustrating to me that what they showed instead was me failing to get through the ice, and they inserted bleeps. I'm fairly certain I wasn't actually cussing. Um, I don't know for sure. Maybe I was, but, but they made it look like a hardship and it was one of the most amazing nights in my life, such that like, I just fully surrendered after that and was like, if they pick me up tomorrow, I don't care because I got to have this night out on the ice. It was this experience where I was out there and the ice was completely scoured clean to just a mirror surface from this really intense storm we had had for days and days with heavy winds and, you know, like scouring the ice with snow. Um, And the sun was going down, and because the storm was just clearing, there were a lot of clouds, so the color was really intense. And the sky was just this amazing hot pink, orange, you know, beautiful colors. And then I'm standing on this ice that is so smooth that it's reflecting the sunset back at me. So it's like I'm standing in the middle of the sunset. You know, I'm completely surrounded by sunset colors everywhere. And then the night was just so gorgeous once I figured out that I couldn't get through that ice. I just decided to go further out onto the lake and just revel in it. And I got further out into the ice in an area where the the pressure of the ice freezing so fast had cracked the surface of the lake. So there's all of these different pieces of ice that had all been kind of pushed up by the pressure of the cracking. And so they were all of these little pieces. They were all sitting at a different angle to the sky. So each one was catching a different color. Like Superman. and and reflecting that back at me, it was, yeah, yeah, only sunset. Like, oh, sunset. All Superman ice colors. cave, sunset time. So epically unbelievable. And then as I'm out there on the ice, the moon is rising. Oh. And it's like exactly half of a moon and exactly vertical. So that's rising up over the island as this amazing. It was just the most amazing experience of my entire life. And, you know. Why I mean, didn't they just, show like, that? Weeping must... with beauty. Do you get to keep the footage? Well, no, because they want to show the drama. No, no, you don't get it. You put footage. the footage. Well, and can't... honestly, I didn't bring the cameras oh. out there. <gasps> I mean, I did take footage. No, I did take footage of the moon rising, but when I went out to where there was the puzzle pieces, I left the camera set up by that hole, and I just wandered out by myself, which I wasn't really supposed to do, but it was, like, too epic and amazing. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah. Um, you know, they could have showed, but there was a lot of footage of it. There just wasn't the footage of the, like, me on the puzzle piece. Part of the ice right. um but because that's not you know they're trying to build the drama and this is the last couple of days and so they're trying to pitch this like you know battle to the end between me and jordan and um you know so just the beauty and wonder um most of my most epic moments i took great footage of but they didn't show I they should give um, you i also that had footage. A, a moment yeah yeah they don't they don't do that um it would jeopardize their show i think is there their perspective on it so yeah those were those were i mean i could go on there are a bunch of them but
6: um <laughs> oh, more beautiful moments no no <laughs> please mm-hmm. what, what are your other epic like things that were i mean because that's oh, there were so many you yeah, can just pick a random one
8: <laughs> um, the, the whole place yeah okay so so one moment that was really really profound early on um I mean, the whole thing was that, like, early on, when we first launched, it was, you know, we had just been having our first intense frost, Um, so everything was changing, the leaves were all changing, so this super, super stark landscape, you know, a huge lake that's like a steel gray most of the time, and mostly bare rock, you know, this really amazing granite, and huge towering cliffs, you know, vertical cliffs, and the whole landscape is So enormous, you can't even begin to wrap your mind around it. So like this super stark landscape with these amazing, just flame colors of fall, you know, and I had this moment after being out there for, you know, going on a couple weeks and not bringing in any food besides just a couple handfuls of berries and recognizing that rather than feeling weaker and weaker, I'm feeling better and better. And there was just this moment where I realized that I was shifting on a physiological level, to where I was learning to be fed by beauty instead of by food. And just that, like, that all hitting me in one moment, standing on this rocky precipice, looking out over this landscape, looking out over this lake, and recognizing that even though I'm starving and I don't know how long I can keep going on starving, like, there's no place in the world I would rather be or anything I would rather be doing in that moment. And just that epic beauty being so profound that it just brought tears to my eyes, you know? I just, like, there's no way to... Hold all of the emotion in my body, and it just came through in the form of tears. Um, and recognizing that, like I could, I could live on beauty now, and I could do that for a really long time, and had every intention of doing so. So that was a really profound moment. Um, I had a moment where I was at my cabin working on it, and heard and heard a big kerfuffle of birds. You know, like I, I was really keyed into birds out there. Um, and I knew their patterns and so I could tell that there was something unusual happening and, um, and going out to where I heard this and seeing this kind of a classic bird language moment, which was all of these birds in a shape that we call in bird language, a parabola mm-hmm. around the top of this tree and looking in the top of that tree and seeing a huge, um, predatory bird up there a a northern goshawk i believe it was which is specifically an avian predator they take out birds and so there's something that birds really react to so having that moment of like being keyed in enough to the landscape to think something's going on something big is happening and then going out there and finding the source of it and getting to see this amazing bird that i've never seen before in my life that was a really profound one um i had a really profound encounter with a fox um that was really beautiful um Yeah, I mean, seeing tracks, seeing wolverine tracks, you know, I've never seen wolverine tracks, seeing lynx tracks, that was amazing, wolf tracks, I mean, all of these wildlife encounters that were creatures that I haven't had the opportunity to live in the territory of before. So, and even though the lynx tracks and the wolverine tracks were like dogging my trap line and potentially major competitors for my food, it was still so amazing to see that, that it it felt worth it. And so you never,
6: Um, it sounds like you just didn't feel alone at all. (laughs)
5: like you were
6: interacting how could I I surrounded by
8: life yeah that it was it's
6: like a completely different journey than other people
8: took did the camera help you apparently which I didn't realize until watching it yeah Yeah, I had no idea how different my journey was to other journeys until I was watching the show and thinking oh my god I had the time of my life and these people are out here experiencing the exact same conditions in the exact same place and suffering so hard right that was a really profound realization for me just how I mean I knew what a big difference attitude made and and like we talked about you know like a lot of my preparations were strategizing routines for myself to help me stay in a place of connection and gratitude but it wasn't until watching other journeys you know other folks on my same season that I really got on a deeper level how profound a difference that
6: was it must it must have killed you to watch Jordan sit there and complain and be like oh
8: I'm starving with 200 pounds of moose <laughs> Look at this. I thought that was so funny but it I didn't. mean my interpretation of it wasn't that he was complaining as much as that the show was choosing to ah. take those moments out of his footage okay. to make it seem like he and I were neck and neck right um so you know I have enough experience in knowing how many things I filmed and the things that they chose to show of my things in a way that misrepresented my journey that i believe that that is what they were doing with with him too sure. not misrepresented but just you know picking and choosing to get a certain impression
6: right to get um, the story that I they wanted that
8: jordan was nowhere near as poorly off yeah exactly
6: yeah because they're i mean they are it is a tv show and they are creating a story did you did the camera become like a friend to you did you when you were t- oh, absolutely so it was like yeah. it's because it, it feels like You're talking to me when I'm watching. You're talking to us Mm -hmm. or, you
8: know, the audience. Yeah, no, I was very aware of that. And, you know, and I don't know how different the sense of isolation would have been if I didn't have that relationship with the camera. I mean, and again, so much of my intention was around showing something beautiful to the world. That was a big part of my mission. And so in that way, I engaged with the audience perhaps more than other folks might have because I wanted to draw you in. I wanted... You know, I know that a lot of these shows, kind of what they do is like, look at this person and all their survivor skills. and They're, they're such a badass, and, you know, and like put you on a pedestal, pedestal. And that that's not what I wanted. I wanted the viewers to identify with me and see themselves out there and doing the same thing and give them that experience. And so I engaged with the camera in that way. And, and you know, to me, the camera was an audience that I was talking to. And I think that that did a lot for my, you know, mental health out there because while I knew that obviously you weren't actually there and interacting with me and it wasn't in real time I also knew that I was going to be sharing this and so that kept me feeling like I was still part of human community as well as the wild community out there even though it wasn't actually true at the time um And so, yeah, so the camera, you know, it was a mixed blessing. Obviously, it was where a lot of my time and energy went, and a lot of that felt wasted because they showed so little of my footage. But at the same time, the camera absolutely was a companion and um, kept me aware of the companionship of the whole world of humans that were out there and eventually going to be sharing this with me.
6: And you shared a lot of really personal stuff. I was um, specifically very connected to when you were talking about – the money versus not the money and what do you want to do and the self care on those last days. And you were talking about what you would do with the money and that you've made relationships, you've made choices for your career and for your life that haven't included other things that you would consider like adopting and all of that whole monologue section. I was just like, wow. I felt like, Oh, same thing. The sacrificing of femininity to, to try to get ahead in a certain way and then you look back and you're in your 40s and it's like what did I do I don't have a kid anyway I don't know if that's (laughs) where you're coming but that's what I felt from it like and I felt that for me I was like oh god I'm 45 I'm 45 and look at my choices and I'm not gonna have a kid and wouldn't it be great to adopt but I don't have the money to do that and like how do you share with the world and feel like you have things to share and then there are choices that you made so those aren't the opportunities that you get and etc. So I felt like really connected to that. And then also when you're talking about your mom and all that stuff and your childhood, and I know they put that into, you know, create a character for you. Um, But do you Mm -hmm. feel like the character that they put out, does that, do you feel represented? Do you feel like
8: they got you? Or do you feel like, well, they tried? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, The things that you're referring to, yes. And it's interesting because i still was really so there's a bunch a bunch to say about that one is that they really encouraged us to be really vulnerable and talk about you know what was true for us emotionally and part of my choice to do that was was that and i think that you often see people you know a lot of things up for people and processing a lot of your life choices and that was true for me too but also it was particularly specific advice of one friend who is a friend who has done the show before i actually have a lot of friends who have done this cuz those are kind of the circles that i that i move in and he told me you know like this journey is so intense that you it's really hard to do just for yourself and you want to find something you know a goal that's about someone that you love or something that you love or are really attached to to make the journey bigger than yourself and And so that's part of what prompted that conversation was my looking to that. And certainly in terms of finances, you know, I'm a person who has chosen to live under the poverty line for most of my life because I've just always prioritized different things. I've prioritized freedom and, you know, being able to have wild adventures over financial security and that's fine. But one of the goals that would make, you know, pushing it to get a bunch of money worth it would be something like being able to adopt because, again, you know, I wanted a family so bad for so much of my life and have had a lot of angst around that not happening. At the same time, it feels representative of, like, my life before alone and not as much now because I had a lot of time to think about and process those choices while I was out there and recognizing that, like, I'm so grateful to have the life that I have and the opportunities that I've had. And had I had a family, I probably wouldn't have gone out on a loan. And (laughs) that was the most amazing experience of my entire life. And I wouldn't trade it for anything right now. And, you know, I made those choices from the authentic place that I was in when those choices were up for me. So how would I go back and change that now? So I processed a lot of my regrets while I was out there. And so when I came back out, and saw that footage, I was thinking, that doesn't represent me.
3: Mm.
8: But the truth is that it did represent me at one time, just not as much anymore because things have shifted. And I would also say that I'm I am someone who has dealt with a lot of sorrow and angst around not having had a family. But I don't think that I am a person who really – like, I'm a person with a very positive, forward-thinking attitude and not someone who tends to go into, like, woe-is-me places. Right. And so I feel like focusing on that maybe painted me a little bit more in that light. Um, but it definitely, I mean, anyone who knows me know this, knows that it's true, that like not having had a family has been one of my major sorrows in life. So that's accurate. The part that really bothered me that feels less accurate is when they talked about um, they, they did some, uh, some careful editing mm. to create some sentences that I didn't actually speak. Wow and that was really frustrating and that is really disappointing that, you know, to I've hear never... because you filmed yeah. so much and the, stuff the one place that that was true yeah they, they had me say at one point towards the very end I've never had enough money to eat well and that's why I'm here and that is like nauseating to Oof. me to hear because that's not true and I felt like it painted a very different picture of who I am and, um, and it basically made me say that I was there for the money because I was desperate for money because I don't have enough money to eat otherwise, which is absurd. Um, and it is definitely true that I have lived on a lot less money than, you know, like well under the poverty line and that that has affected some of my food choices in terms of like being able to buy all of the healthiest organic food and whatever I want all the time. And yet the way they made it say that is like that I've been so poor that I'm starving and that, that was my motivation for being on the show. And that was like a complete 180 and the furthest thing from the truth. So in that way, I felt very misrepresented and um, you know, I've had people write me saying like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I hope you can afford to eat now. And oh, I'm just like, Oh God. my God, <laughs> that's awful. And you know, I think that overall, you know, that one part, so they, they do interviews with you before you go, when you come back and when they come and do medical checks. And sometimes they use that, those audio clips and overlay it onto your time out as if it's what you're saying in the moment. Sure. And that's what happened with that clip. And it wasn't, that was, that was a moment when I like went out to the lake to sing this beautiful song of hope and joy. And instead they did this overlay of audio saying, I'm so poor me. I'm so poor. I can't afford to eat. And I'm just here so that I can afford to get a decent meal for once. And um, (laughs) I think that most people Most everyone, I feel like, who has written me, which is, like, hundreds, thousands of people, um, that part of the message is not what they can, like, I think it's clear of, like, my energy and most of the things that, like, my joy and my positivity were what came through more, and the contrast of that one sentence was, um, you know, was big enough that they don't even see that as part of my journey, it seems like, most people who write, and I hope that that's true, Um, but... That was that's a sore spot for me. That's the one major sore spot for me. Um, and,
6: and with the whole Fair whole enough. Um cat yeah. Kat Plank is a person she wanted to ask a question. Um, your master's degree is in what? And uh, she says environmental science. Environmental oh. science. Sorry, I'll let you finish. Oh yeah. No, so she said mm-hmm. she's personally curious about your background, so environmental science, and it's obvious that you have mad skills that are extremely niche. Um, but how did you decide to learn those kinds of skills and so I guess it would be when you were when you were 19 or was it when you were younger even that you, you already said at the beginning you went into a, a, a skills program a wilderness program when you were 19 was that when you started this journey into ancestral skills or was it before that that you had a great interest even like as a young child yeah that's
8: a great question definitely as a young child um, I was always, super fascinated like all of my favorite books you know like I had a book about Ishii when I was a kid and all of the little house books and Laura Ingalls um, Wilder's story and Island of the Blue Dolphins like Ah. those were the books that I loved and you know Hatchet and that kind of thing so I was obsessed with these things as a kid and like all of my childhood games were me as Karana on the land like I would pick red clover blossoms and you know put them in a hole in the ground because I was saving up food for the winter you know that was that was what I was obsessed with but I didn't think that those things were you know I thought that that was from the past and not something that was available to me so um so I you know I always did a lot of things with my hands I was into sewing and knitting and crocheting and that kind of thing and like the hand that were available to me but I didn't really have other avenues um you know like I grew up in a rural place but you know we weren't we weren't we grew strawberries and we grew a small garden, but you know, we weren't like harvesting wild food or anything. This wasn't in my, wasn't in my background and how I was raised up. Um, But I was always looking for that stuff. And when I was, um, I think a freshman or a sophomore, I think a sophomore in college. And I went to school for biology and environmental studies. So like a deep connection to the natural world was always a part of me. And my parents were both outdoor people. My dad was an endurance runner doing hundred mile trail runs. And my mom was a backpacker and in the Sierra club. So I spent a lot of time hiking and, you know, out in wild places as a kid. Um, But it was when I was a sophomore in college that a friend of mine gave me a book, um, The Tracker by Tom Brown Jr., Um, where he kind of talks about using these skills in his childhood um, coming into relationship with the land. And that was really inspiring to me. And so when I wanted to do a field course one summer, I specifically looked for one um, that might have some – some of those skills and found um, found one that had instructors who had taught some ancestral skills. And so I chose the course based on that. And that's not what the, the focus of the course was, but it was a big focus for me because that was where my interest lay. Um, and then they told me about a skills gathering that they had been to, that was all focused on ancestral skills. And so I went to that and that was um, when I was 19. And so that was what really showed me that in fact, this was something that was still available, that people were still doing. And then from that point on, I just threw myself into it wholeheartedly and definitely kind of had like fantasies about running off naked into the wilderness, you know, with just my knife and living there forevermore. And um, my first gathering was when I was introduced to buckskin clothing. And that completely changed my life and became my biggest goal was to, you know, learn to tan hides and make clothing for myself. And um, so, yeah, from that point on, anytime I wasn't in school, I was I was out in the woods by myself doing skilled stuff um, or going to gatherings whenever I could and spending summers on some land in Idaho with a bunch of folks who were teaching and practicing skills and, you know, organizing Stone Age trips and harvesting wild food and just you know, learning as much as I could in every possible way, um, and you know, then I had then I had a period in my early twenties where I kind of where I was in if I was in a relationship and with my first husband, and um, that wasn't really the life that he wanted to live. And I felt like I ended up compromising a lot on how how I was living for for love, you know, for that relationship, and um, that was how I ended up in grad school. Actually, was kind of trying like not not being happy in the normal working world. And I was working, you know, interesting jobs. I was doing environmental ed and working as a naturalist in a state park and doing cool cool stuff, but it just wasn't me. It wasn't the life that I wanted. I wanted something so much more wild and rugged and, um, really had this period of feeling like I compromised so much of myself and lost myself and became really deeply depressed. And, um, even suicidal. We have and, like the um, same
6: story. It's dripping and... me out. But keep going.
8: <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, it's a I think it's a common one. Um so yeah, so I spent a lot of my 20s compromising on what I wanted to do and then eventually um I was in grad school when I kind of I don't know, like came to a place where I realized that like my soul was dying and I couldn't I couldn't do what I was doing anymore and ended up, you know, leaving my husband Quitting grad school, I, I had enough credits to get my degree, but I quit my thesis, so I ended up graduating with a non-thesis science degree, mm-hmm. which means you can't really work in academia. You can do a lot of other things, but you're not going to ever go on to be a professor or anything um, or a researcher. But um, but I it was pretty clear that I didn't want to anyway at that point. So yeah, so I ended up you know quitting grad school, leaving my husband, and moving away from my like you know easy house outside of town and running off to Northern Ontario um, with someone that I met at a friend's wedding who was about to go out on this crazy journey and um, living up there for a while until the Canadian government kicked us out. (laughs) And from that moment on, just really absolutely devoted to living my life and not compromising on that again and living a much wilder, less conventional life. Um, but yeah, I've, I came to that through compromising and trying to, you know, quote, be normal and live a normal life for a while, and just being absolutely miserable and feeling trapped. And um, yeah. And you, you gave know, up learned, the safety. Learned the hard way. You gave up the
6: safety for your gave truth. Up for
8: safety for sure. Yeah.
6: Yeah. Ah, I did yeah. the same thing. I was married for a long time, and and I left him. And all it's very, very similar story. Very depressed, trying, blah, 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 and now I do
8: what I want. Yay!
6: So I'm glad that you yeah, I and like, I
8: think it's it's been gratifying cuz
6: yeah. Oh, I just have a, I have a couple more questions for you cuz we've been going for an hour and I don't want to take up too much of your time cuz you're so awesome but I mean I <laughs> I want to take up all of your time but I don't I also don't want to you know so finish your thing and then I have like two more questions.
8: Oh, I was just going to say that at the time, I think it was hard. You know, it was like quite devastating for my husband. We're still very good friends. He's a wonderful man. But, you know, I think at the time he never really believed me about why I was dissatisfied and how I said I wanted to live. Um, And, you know, because I was not doing those things. I had been compromising. So it's like, yeah, you say that. but," But I think now, and especially after Alone, now he's like okay, yeah, I, I get it now. I get the, what you were saying all along of what you actually needed and wanted. Yeah, it makes more sense now. <laughs> 73 so It's gratifying in that way, but like, yeah.
6: Uh, so have you ever thought of going back to your Arctic Peninsula, like during the summer?
8: I would love to. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd love to. I mean, once once I have a little bit more space in my life, that is definitely um, a very much a goal I intend to. I intend to do so. I also intend to spend some time on that lake, places where one can actually catch fish and just gorge on trout.
6: <laughs> yeah, I saw those beautiful fish. Um, okay, so yeah. my last question, it might be totally inappropriate, but, and I can cut it out <laughs> of the interview if you want. Okay, the way I came to the show, because I, I'm a stand-up comedian, I watched the show... <laughs> And I was like, I don't, I don't watch porn. It's not my thing. So I'm not into it. But mm-hmm. I was watching alone <laughs> because it hits all of my triggers. Like it's like emotional lumberjacks crying. It's like survival starving. <laughs> it's like all the Laura Ingalls Wilder stuff I love. So I made this like big long joke that I've done on stage about how it's my porn, and I I masturbate to it when I'm alone, <laughs> quote unquote. Right? So my question is, That's great. when you're out there and we're at the base of humanity, was there any like sexy time? Did it not even enter your head at all, or was there any like? I mean, were you so? I'm just i because I'm thinking about ancestral skills and I'm thinking about. How, people used to live out there and babies were made
8: Yeah, and this is
6: a part of being human. <laughs> right.
8: I mean, I was isolated the whole time, um, but yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I don't, I, I, I think probably differently than you experience it. Cause to me, it's my norm. You know, I think that often things that people eroticize are things that are like outside of their norm and therefore exciting. And so in that way, that, that experience wasn't, but there is definitely something about that, like that primal energy of being out on, you know, in a wild place and, um, experience things in this way. It's very, you know, it's very physical. It's very rooted in the body and it's, you know, the like life and death and like getting down to the nitty gritty of life. And sure there's, there's a sexual energy in there. And, uh, and yeah, no, that like towards the end where i had been starving and just so you know like i tend to be kind of a no hold barred kind of person i'm, I'm pretty um <laughs> i'm a pretty open book so this doesn't feel inappropriate but um you can edit it out if you think no no hey i'm fine with but, it yeah, i watched no. the whole
6: poop i watched the whole poop video and i was like scintillated like
8: <laughs> i watched right. the whole 22 yeah, minute poop yeah. video i was like all right, right. <laughs> yeah no i tend to just talk about the stuff that he's talking about so whatever but yeah no i mean i would say that like that uh there wasn't like more sexual energy for me out there than there would be otherwise but it wasn't absent um until towards the end when i had been really starving for a long freaking time because you know like starting to digest your own muscles kind of takes it out of (laughs) you right right there's actually a moment where when they were out for a medical check and uh I, I somehow like this happens to me where I will say something and not realize the connotation of it afterwards. But there was something where I like invited one of the people to spend the night in my cabin with me, one, which like obviously it was not going to happen. But like, and and the, the film people were kind of like, oh, should we like be present for this conversation? And then I was like, oh, that did sound like that, didn't it? But uh,
6: <laughs> Do you want to spend the night but, um, in my yeah, that, wilderness that
8: was cabin? Funny. <laughs> I think it was like just after I had made the bed or something. They're like, "Oh yeah, that looks pretty cozy." And I'm like, "Heck yeah, it is. You know, try it out." Um, <laughs> something like that. But I always, I always laugh. But everybody was like, everybody turned a little bit red after that.
6: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's. Well, I, this has been amazing. Can you like plug Bucks Begin Revolution? Give us your website, your YouTube. What you you know? How people can. Like, do you have a book? Can
8: have you read? Have you written a book yet? When's your book coming out? Like, um, I have. I have several book projects in the works right now. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that I can say about all of that. So my business is Buckskin Revolution, and um, you know, the mission of my business is to empower people with the skills to you know, tend to their needs with their own two hands and from the landscape around them. And so it's about, it's about ancestral skills. And it's also about applying those skills, like having those skills, even if we don't use them, but knowing that we have them changes how we are in our daily life and comes has us coming from a place that is uh, feeling empowered rather than feeling trapped in the system and feeling like a whole person who is actually using the the physiology that we evolved to have Um, and also you know just recognizing ourselves as wild creatures and with a profound relationship to the wild so having things in our daily lives whatever they might be that remind us of our connection to landscapes outside you know you might not need to go out and forage your own food every day but could you have a little you know a buckskin bag hanging on your wall where you know that it came from a wild creature and therefore it's kind of an anchor for the wild in your life even if you're living in an apartment building in the bronx you know wherever you find yourself can you can you integrate a little bit of the wild into your life Um, so, you know, connection to the landscape around us, connection to who we are on a deeper level, connection to our human community, connection to our ancestors, um, and skills for actually land-based living, you know, um, growing, storing, um, food, medicines, all of those things. So, um... And part of my mission really is to spread those as far and wide as I can. And that's why I've been focusing more on, um, you know, videos and online courses and writing recently. And I, you know, have traveled around the country teaching this stuff for the past several decades. Um, that's been a huge part of my life. And that's really rewarding to me. And I intend to keep doing it. But these days, since the bigger platform um, and the publicity of a loan a lot more people are interested in what I'm doing, so I'm trying to um, to branch into the video stuff to make it more accessible to people who couldn't come and do a class in person. So there's a lot of ways to be involved in what I'm doing. Um, I have an online skills gathering happening right now. Last week is going to be the last week to register for that, but that's uh, an entire, you know, weeks' worth of classes spread out over 10 weeks of all of the skills, like we're talking about, all of the background that, um, that you know, prepares you for more time in the wild and more land-based living. Um, also, I have a Patreon membership, which is a... a- crowdfunding platform but it's a membership based so you're you know um you're part of a team basically the buckskin revolution patreon team so that is a huge part of allowing me to do a lot of the videos and writing and eventually i'm hoping to be able to hire people to help me with my video editing because i can only i'm doing everything myself right now and there's only so much i can produce so i could get a lot more out there if i had more support um and able to to hire folks to support me in that So check me out on Patreon. That is www.patreon.com backslash wonia buckskin revolution. And you get all kinds of benefits for that. And it's a lot more interactive and reciprocal and, you know, exclusive content and, you know, merchandise for certain things, your name in my books and getting to ask questions and a lot more, a lot more interaction. Um, So I really encourage people to do that. That's a huge part of what supports me right now and being able to do this stuff. Um, the mailing list on my website will get you um, in my system so that you get my newsletters, which has my teaching schedule. Um, obviously, most of my in-person teaching has been canceled um, due to COVID, but I will be getting back to that. And I also do mentoring through um, Sage FM, which is a which is a mentoring platform where folks can call in and do. Um, live video and phone consultations. And so that's a way to, you know, get one-on-one help with your skills. Um and, you know, like I can walk you through brain tanning. You can ask questions about alone. You can ask questions about I just had a great conversation last week about how to keep a positive attitude in the face of challenges and adversity. Um, So, yeah, I'm really trying to do what I can to make a positive impact on the world. And um, also, you know, social justice is a part of of Buckskin Revolution and a part of the revolution. And so trying to make these skills more accessible to more people, because I feel like, you know, there are a lot of people who are disenfranchised and don't have access to even just getting out into the woods and nature. So trying to do what I can to spread access in more ways so that more people you know, feel empowered and feel like they have some control over their, their lives and their choices. And they're not just cons in a system that they don't understand. Um, and you know, can't control, which like I get, because that's how I felt in my twenties when I was trying to plug into the system and it wasn't working for me. Um, yeah. you're amazing. I'm on Instagram and Facebook. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, there are so many ways to be involved in what I'm doing. And, yes, I do have a couple books. My Patreon members have access to my writing before it's published. Really? For many years, I was selling the rough draft of my book about buckskin clothing. Right now, the only way that you can get that is if you're a Patreon member at certain levels, you get that rough draft copy of my book that's close to published but not there yet. Um, you get that for free at certain levels, or you get to buy it for a discounted rate at other levels. So, um yeah, working hard to pump a lot of good resources out there into the world, so we have a society of happier, healthier, more whole, more empowered, more inspired, and inspiring people. Yay!
6: This has been, like, <laughs> the <laughs> highlight of my whole, like, I can't even tell you, this is a dream come to fruition. I never thought, you're a real person, doing real things. <laughs> of ah. I
8: am. Yeah. There are all, the other things we didn't get
6: into are like your philosophies on entitlement and like feminism and stuff, but maybe another time, this has been incredible. And I thank you so much for your time. And I, and I can't wait to see what happens next, um, with you and Buckskin revolution and everything else online and everybody joined the Patreon and thank, thank, thank you. you so much for talking to me on mutiny radio. Uh, and I I'm hope so that glad we can,
8: to. Thank you so much for asking. Yeah,
6: I hope we can promote anything that you're doing in the future. Again, this has been like thank you so much. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Enjoy <laughs> the sunshine. Thank you. And I thought the cat was alive. I'm sorry. <laughs>
8: <laughs> that's that's okay. Yeah,
6: no problem. Right. Well, See thanks up. so much for your time and I hope to talk to you again someday thanks, soon. Fam.
8: Have a great day. Bye. Sounds great. Yep, we'll be in touch. Yep. All right. Bye. <laughs>
6: that that was Wania Dawn Oneia Thibault, everyone you can see her online on uh, on Facebook her fan page is Wania uh, Dawn and that has been an awesome interview and I'm so proud of myself because I didn't cry I didn't cry alright so call me Tim everyone I've been Pam Benjamin that was Wania Dawn this is MutinyRadio.fm. Hey, hit up our uh, Venmo. Mutiny Radio, all one word.
2: Mm, 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 mm. Yep, 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 it's bug Square. It's uh, it's let's just pretend. It's Tuesday. It's uh, 6 o'clock. Uh, I'm glad you're uh, able to uh, hear this. Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? I've been hearing his name all over the land. Hey, this week on Bug Out Square, I got uh, um. Oh, I got a bunch of stuff. I got a bunch of really good records. No real theme. I just, uh, just kind of what I felt today. You know, it's like what uh, the uh, situation around me and um, what I've experienced uh, guided my hands as I as I picked the records. So uh, stay tuned. It's uh, guaranteed a good two hours. I hope uh, all is well. It's been um, uh, it's been hard for a lot of folks. Uh, most folks, but harder uh, for some. And those of you who, uh, well, anybody who's here, I'm, I'm bringing the love. So let's just, let's just start there. Sleeping in some good warm place Man, come along and we give him a little race. Was that a vigilante man?
7: pressure buried deep beneath the stone and the valley people swore they'd have it for their very own Tune soldier rides away